The time has come now for us to feed ourselves with some word, and I'm going to invite a very special person onto the stage. She is no stranger to this stage. She is a former member of this youth, and I am super proud of her for accepting the challenge to come and give us a word this afternoon. So, Daniela, please make your way up to the stage. Hi, guys. <laughs> How are you guys doing? I'm good, thanks. <laughs> it's such a beautiful day, right? We just watched such a nice skit, the worship was amazing, and there's really a lovely atmosphere in here. And you know what I like to do on beautiful days? I like to play games. And I know we played a game in the beginning, but that wasn't enough, right? <laughs> okay, so my favorite game is my very own version of Truth or Dare. It's called Dare or Dare. Very creative, I know, thank you. <laughs> so would you guys like to play a round or two with me? Okay, so this is for everyone, because I don't want to exclude anyone, you know. So, the first dare. I dare you to turn to the person next to you, and in a funny accent or a funny voice, say, she sells seashells by the seashore. Okay, go. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay, guys, thank you. <laughs> that, was, that was very interesting. Thank you for that. I really enjoyed that. Okay, let's play one more round. I dare you, on the count of three, to say the first color that pops into your head. What? <laughs> one, two, three. <laughs> Okay, I, I didn't really hear a color, but thanks, guys. I'll just pretend you all said yellow, because that's my favorite color. Okay, so you see, guys, these are pretty simple dares. Nothing too serious. We're just having some fun in an innocent space. But what if I dared you to go up on your school stage and say that you're a Christian, even though your friends might laugh at you? Or what if I dared you to go to Iran and preach the gospel, even though you might face execution? These dares don't seem to be as funny or even as fun as the previous ones, right? Suddenly, the level of intensity and sacrifice has reached a new height. But isn't that what a dare is supposed to be? The word dare can be used interchangeably with the word challenge. If I dare you to do something, I'm challenging or defying you to go out and complete the task. And the reason you would complete the dare is to show that you're courageous, you're brave, you're bold. So naturally, the more challenging a dare is, the higher the stakes are. The dares we completed weren't that challenging. Well, maybe you can't really say the phrase, but you know, it wasn't that difficult. They were pretty lame, if I do say so myself. But do you know who dares us to take on the toughest of dares? God. God is the master of dares. And his reigning title as champion is evident if we look at different examples in the Bible. So in Genesis 5, we encounter the story of Noah and the flood. God dared or challenged Noah to listen to his commands. He told Noah to build, on, build an ark on dry ground, if I may add. And if that doesn't sound crazy enough, he asked Noah to bring two animals of each kind onto the ark. And I think Noah forgot the unicorns, but we'll let that slide. 
God, Noah was thinking, if God's telling me to build, well then, I'm going to build. And he never once doubted that a flood would actually come. The community mocked him and they laughed at him, but despite this, Noah fulfilled God's dare. On the other hand, there have also been times when God has dared the greatest of people to go out and complete a challenge, but they've run away. We see this in the book of Jonah. God challenged Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and preach out against their wickedness. But Jonah was like, nah, (laughs) he really didn't want to do that. So he fled from God and jumped on the first ship that he could find. He did end up getting swallowed by a big fish, so I guess we could learn from his mistakes. Looking at these two examples, we can see two very different reactions. One person went out and completed God's dare, and the other one decided to run away. I don't know about you guys, but I would like to think that I am courageous enough to tackle any dare that God gives me. And I believe that besides God's personal plan for our lives, He's daring each and every single one of us to go out and complete the challenge, to stand up for Him. Stephen Baldwin once said, We are in a particular place in the world's history where it's time that the people stand up for Jesus. And I couldn't agree more. The world at this point in history is facing much turmoil. I don't know if you guys agree with me, but we're living in a time that's dominated by a confused generation. We're living in a time where people are attacking Christians because they're refusing to conform to the normal values of society. We are living in a time of deception, where basically anything goes. If I may generalize, this generation is founded on a shaky ground. So how do we stand up for a generation that isn't willing to stand up for much? Well, I have three points for you guys. Firstly, standing up requires faith. Okay, so let's say that we were going to stand on a chair. Obviously, you would be restricted. You wouldn't be able to move or jump around or whatever. But if you're standing on solid ground, you can walk around freely, you can dance, well, if you can dance, and you can do jumping jacks or whatever because you have faith that the ground is solid. You have faith that you're not going to fall. Unless you're clumsy, like Tanya. (laughs) Shouldn't our relationship with God be the same way? Shouldn't we have so much faith in him that we know he's going to keep us standing and that we won't fall down? And this leads us to one great man who definitely thought this, and that's Daniel. So for those of you who attended yesterday's session, Tanya did touch a bit on Daniel. So she spoke about how Daniel dared to live a life of difference. She pointed out how Daniel chose to live the life that God called him to live. So this afternoon, we're going to carry on with that theme and look at Daniel's story from a slightly different angle. Daniel's story is more than than just a young man who was taken to the lion's den. Daniel's story is about a man who refused to look at society's values and he trusted God in everything that he did. It's a story about how God used Daniel to save a nation and how Daniel pointed others towards God. Okay, so let's start at the beginning of Daniel's story. When we first encounter Daniel, he's a young boy. He's a teenager, like most of the people in this room. During this time, Daniel was living in the city of the nation of Judah. 
However, this nation had sinned against God. So God decided to send the Babylonians in order to conquer them as a form of punishment. So most of the people were killed in the battle, but those who weren't were sent back to Babylon. And in Daniel 1 verse 4, we see that the king wanted all the strong guys, the young men who without physical defect, those who were handsome, who were smart, because he wanted them to work for their government. And before we go any further, I need you to understand this. Daniel had to move away from everything that he knew. This means he was removed from his family, his, basically his only support structure. And he found himself in an entirely different nation where he had to learn a new way of life. And he soon realized that their way of life was filled with immorality and it was not a nation who really stood for God. So I don't know if you guys agree with me, but Daniel had reason to feel uneasy. He could be unsure about his faith. The easiest path for Daniel to follow would be to listen to the king, do everything that he says, not go against it. Why would he want to stand out amongst all these people? But this isn't the path that Daniel chose to follow. Daniel and his friends chose the much more challenging path. They decided to remain faithful to God and listen to his beliefs because they knew that their faith was solid. They knew that they weren't going to fall down. So there are two different moments that I can identify where we see that God standing up for Dan Daniel standing up for God. So firstly, Daniel stands up against the rules legislated by the king. So Daniel was able to see that standing up for God sometimes means standing up to other people. And sometimes these people are in a position of high authority. So once Daniel and his friends arrived in Babylon, immediately they underwent training. They had to be fit and strong for any unexpected battle. This meant that Daniel and his friends had to have a special diet, and it contained all the nutrients they needed in order to be strong and face the upcoming battle. However, there was a certain kind of meat that was forbidden by the, the Jewish law. This food represented something that Daniel did not believe in. So now Daniel was faced with a choice. Should he stand up for his beliefs or should he compromise his beliefs? In other words, should he stand up for God or should he not stand up for God? And Daniel 1 verse 8 tells us that Daniel chose the first option. Daniel, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So Daniel politely asked if he could eat something different. And this choice would ultimately make him stand out amongst everyone else. It's like being the vegan in your friend group. When you're eating something different, everyone looks at you like, seriously, do you have to be like that? And I'm pretty sure that this is what the gods were saying to Daniel. Like, seriously, man, why do you have to be like this? Just eat the food. You're a young teenage boy. What do you know? You know, the typical things adults usually say to teenagers. But you know what happened? By choosing to stick to God's rules, Daniel and his friends who chose to follow and eat the food that they wanted to, ended up looking healthier and more nourished than the other ones. And that's how Daniel successfully completed his first day. Then Daniel stands up for God a bit later on. So by this time, many people knew that Daniel was a Christian. Of course, he never tried to hide it. And there were few people that did not like this godliness that he embodied. So they sneakily went to the king in an attempt to get him thrown into prison. We read about this in Daniel 6 verse 7. 
The royal administrators, prefects, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or any human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it may not be altered. What's interesting about this passage is that it wasn't just one person who went to the king or one person that didn't like Daniel. It was everyone from the administrators to the advisors, a whole group of people. And the punishment that they were asking for was not just you know, a five minute detention after school. They wanted to see Daniel suffer. They wanted to see him die. And if I was in Daniel's situation, I would probably be thinking, you know what, you know, God won't mind if I don't pray for 30 days or if I just, just pray in secret, you know, he understands, he doesn't want to see me die. But Daniel didn't think like this for a moment. <laughs> Daniel decided that no, it doesn't matter because his faith is found solidly in God. And he didn't allow other people to influence this relationship. So Daniel kept on praying. And we see this in Daniel 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open to Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. His window was open. He didn't even try to hide the fact that he was praying. He didn't care that anyone saw him. In fact, he actually wanted them to see him. He was trying to prove a point. <laughs> and that takes some tremendous courage. His faith was so strongly founded in God that he knew he wasn't going to fall down. And that's why I think he's a brilliant example of showing us that standing up really does require faith. Okay, great, so we have our faith, and now we wanna go out into the world and be like Daniel. Super easy, right? Well, not really. So the second point is, Standing up means facing persecution. We are living in a world that is hostile towards Christianity. It's easy to blend in, to laugh at the dirty jokes, to never confront the gossip, to never speak a word that ident would identify yourself as a Christian. Besides, it could cost you your popularity at school or even your job, so why would you do such? Sometimes, even amongst our Christian friends, it's hard to hold your convictions in fear of what they will think. But Jesus is asking us as the youth to stand up for him and for only him. He's telling us to ignore what the world is saying because at the end, it doesn't matter, even though it's difficult to see that when you're in that situation. By standing up for Jesus, we'll definitely face persecution. We can just think of Jason from the skit we just watched. Jason's friend laughed at him and mocked him. They couldn't believe that he would go to church on a Friday night instead of going out to a party. But Jason risked being judged by his friends and chose to endure being treated differently if it meant that he had to stand up for God. And maybe you've been in a similar situation. Maybe you've also had to risk being judged and Daniel had to risk going to the lion's den. And no matter how cute lions are, I wouldn't want to be in a den with them. And we see how the king was actually genuinely worried about Daniel after he had been there for so long. And in verse 6, verse 22, we see how the king goes to Daniel and Daniel replies, My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything 
thing wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and he gave orders for the whole nation to look at God and to understand that there's a God out there who can even save you from lions, which of course there's no other God like that. Daniel decided to stand up for what he believed in and by being loyal to God, God saved him. Hopefully you never get thrown into a lion's den, but the lions can be used as a metaphor in our own lives for any trials and tribulations that we may face. God is telling us that when we stand up for him, he'll, he'll help us stand up to our troubles. But that doesn't mean that we're going to not have any troubles. Being a Christian doesn't ensure a pain-free life. And this is what we see in Daniel's story. No one wanted to be associated with him because he was linked to Jesus. This meant that they would be thrown into the lion's den. And of course, no one wanted to suffer like that. And in our day and age, although in some parts of the world, physical Christian persecution is still very relevant, today, it works a bit differently. Satan attacks not our physical bodies, but he attacks our pride and our desire to be filled with success and with status. His threats are along the line of, you know what, if you follow God, you won't be as popular as you are now, or how are you supposed to get your dream job if you're following such strict rules? And these threats have such a huge effect on us because they are used in such a subtle way that we don't notice them. And sometimes we'll compromise standing up for our beliefs by saying that we're accommodating other people's beliefs. But don't we just say that so we don't have to face persecution? Isn't it just another excuse that we come up with? Because if you live the way that God wants you to live, you'll naturally disagree with the world. You'll swim against the world's currents. The world has an idea of how you should act, what movies you should watch, how you should look, and you know there's a whole long list. And we know that, and Jesus knew that too. Before Jesus left the earth, he told his disciples in John 16 verse 33, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will face many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. And I think when we look at this, we usually think, yes, Jesus has overcome the world, we have nothing to worry about. But we sometimes leave out the part that we'll face trials and sorrows. And I think this is the reason that it's reiterated so often in the Bible. We see it again in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. This verse says, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This is, it's re-emphasized and again and again that it's the normal condition for, G, for us to face persecution because we stand up for Jesus. And this might sound discouraging and you might be thinking, aren't you supposed to encourage us? Aren't you supposed to want us to stand up for Jesus? And I do, but I also think we have to be prepared for what the world has to offer. And then this leads to the third point, if you're still feeling a bit discouraged. Standing up means pointing others towards God. And pointing others, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and pointing others towards God is our job as believers. This doesn't mean you have to come stand up on stage with me and tell the whole world right now that God is real. But we can go back to our friend Daniel and see how he did this. So we've already established that Daniel was released from the lion's den unharmed. But what happened after that? 
So in Daniel 6, verse 26 to 27, the king is busy speaking. He says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heaven and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So through Daniel, the king witnessed the power of God. He saw that, of course, there has to be a God. How else could Daniel have survived this? But the question then that comes up is, why should we point others towards God? There are so many Christians out there. Isn't that what pastors are for? Isn't it their job to point others towards God? And this reminds me of my favorite scripture verse, Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. It says, You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So, if we quickly look at this passage, it's important to note that during this time when the verse was written, the cities in Jesus' area were mostly built on hills because it was easier to see them and it was easier to defend them. So at night, the people living in the houses would light up their lamps and put it out. So collectively, there was this huge light shining. So if travelers were going past, they could see the light and be reminded of the direction that they're heading. So this gave them comfort knowing, okay, we're going in the right direction. And God is calling us to be that light so that when people look at us, they know they're headed in the direction of God. And there's also the message version of this verse, which is really beautiful. And although it's saying the same thing, I think it really re-emphasizes this point. It says, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. So this is the reason we should tell everyone about God. God is telling us to go public with our faith. Instead of hiding it, we need to make sure that other people are seeing that we're Christians. So when we stand out, we maximize our exposure. The message also translated verse 16, and it says, Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. And when I first read this, I thought, wow, that's so nice. That's such a beautiful image. I'm standing on a light. Everyone's looking at me. And then I thought, oh, wait, that's, I'm so self-absorbed. I'm thinking it in a way of I'm the light on the hill, not that Jesus' light is in me. And I think when we look at Daniel, we see that he wasn't self-absorbed. When the king said, there is a God, Daniel didn't say, did you hear that, everyone? I'm the one who got the king to realize that Jesus is real. And I think that's sometimes the problem with us. We tend to focus on ourselves. 
Our goal shouldn't be that people become impressed with us, but that people become impressed with God. We shouldn't shine our own glory. <laughs> we shouldn't shine our own glory, but we should shine God's glory. And there's a fine line between being a light and putting on a show to get attention. It's a matter of the heart. And in a sense, I would say that like this, we are God's public relations agents. When people look at us, they have to say, wow, that's God's servant, such a kind soul. You know what I mean? <laughs> so when we have our light shining through us, we can reflect the true nature of Christ. We can show others that he's loving, that he's compassionate, and that he's forgiving. When people see that our lives have been changed, they see that it wasn't because we did something drastic, but that God's power worked in us. So we are called to be different, which means we have to live differently. So this is why I would say Daniel is such a brilliant example of standing up and pointing others towards God. His actions proved that he was a child of God, and other people could see this is the case. And those three points, I think, are so important when going out and completing God's challenge. Firstly, standing up for Jesus requires faith. We need a stable foundation. We need to know that when we stand up, we're not going to fall down. And that's where the faith part comes in. Secondly, standing up means facing persecution. We know that Jesus has overcome the world, and we know that our, we are his children. But we also have to acknowledge that we won't have a pain-free life. And thirdly, standing up allows us to point others to God. Other people need to see God in us, not just us. They need to know that that person is here for God and not to get attention or just, you know, to put on a show. So do you guys now see what I mean when I say standing up for Jesus is definitely a dare? It's a huge challenge and a huge responsibility because we are showing that we're not conforming to society, but we're also not using our own strength to go up and stand up for him. We need to be courageous enough to admit that he is our savior. And something that I really felt in my heart when preparing this was that sometimes we think we have to reach a certain age before we can stand up for God. We think that as maybe the youth, as the, a young adult, we're not there yet. We can't, we can't stand up for God. Isn't that an adult's job? And I just want to urge you to follow the words of 1 Timothy 4 verse 12. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So go out there. Who cares how old you are? Be that Jesus freak and wear your title proudly. Show the world the true power of God. Stand up in order to point others towards God. So while the worship team gets ready for us to continue standing up for God, I just want to dare you to do a few things. I dare you to trust in God's promise for your life, even if it means facing persecution. I dare you to have the faith to make bold choices. And now, like you guys know, my favorite game is Dare or Dare. So this is my last day for everyone. I dare you to stand up. I dare you to stand up and shine God's light. So let's stand up and pray. <laughs> okay. Please close your eyes. 
Our Father in heaven, thank you for giving us the opportunity to attend this event and worship your name. Jesus, I come before you today and I ask that you may give us the courage to accept your death for our lives. I pray for the necessary faith so that we can stand up and not fall down, that we may not be afraid of any persecution that we may face. I pray that you won't allow us to forget that you have given us the necessary strength to face any challenge. Lord, I pray as we carry on with worship and as we head out into the world, we will remember that we are the light of the world and we were called to stand up for you and guide others towards you. I pray this in your name. Amen.